One of the best ways to support us, besides telling everyone about us, is by listening on the Radio Public app. When you listen there, we get paid. And the app's tip button lets you leave us a tip for any amount up to $100. Major shout-out and thank you to the individuals who left us our first few tips. We promise to spend it wisely. Assume nothing about Latasha. The Brooklyn-bred rapper and artist is a shapeshifter, musically and culturally. In 2010, she accidentally found her calling as a songwriter and performance artist. Since then, she's open for everyone from Kanye to Princess Nokia. But Latasha wants to do more than perform. She wants to help other creatives find their way in an industry where the paths aren't always so clear. Latasha, thanks so much for joining me. No problem. Thank you so much for that beautiful intro. (laughs) How did you realize you could rap? Um, I don't know. I did it by accident, honestly, like you said. I... The first time I actually rapped, I was talking to my friend about it, was actually in college at Wesleyan University. We had a music course, and one of the projects was to do, like, this group. Like, you had to make a super group. <laughs> and, uh, is this is this what happens? You, like, send your kids to this fancy school, school and then you all come out as rappers? I, I don't know, because there's a few of us who are artists. But, um, yeah, I think... That was the first time I ever rapped was in my my music class by accident. I was just, like, fooling around, and they were like, oh, that's pretty good. And then I just never thought of it again. And then I was doing poetry in college, and then the poetry went viral. And, yeah. What do you mean, because it was on YouTube? Yeah, it ended up on YouTube, uh, this poem that I did called I Still Love Him, which is in my book, Intro to Latasha. And... The poem went viral on the internet, and then before I knew it, I just started rapping. But I don't really consider myself a rapper anymore. Um, I've kind of been diving into a whole new world of myself, so I'm more of an artist that has the ability to rap. When did you make that decision in your own mind? I think last year when I just realized that my gift to rap is just one of the many gifts that I have as an artist, and I don't want to be coined as just a rapper anymore. And so um, I like to just create experiences, and if that's through rap, I'll do it. If it's through actual performing, I'll do it. If I sing, I'll do it. Whatever it is that I want to just create an experience for and just connect with the people with, I'll do it. I think the reason that rap though caught so many people's attention is because there's still a dearth of female rappers Mm -hmm. and you don't hear about a lot of latina rappers Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. so there has to be some novelty in it definitely but i also feel like being in the industry i've learned what happens to the female rapper especially when she is coined in a cultural space what happens they become disposable and they aren't appreciated for the true spirit of what their raps are. So how did that manifest for you? I mean, I didn't become disposable, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that I afforded myself to 
becoming more than just a rapper and like forwarding that idea into many other women. I just want us to all feel bigger than our egos and see the bigger purpose and power in the music. So that's why I do it. What was the first thing you rapped about? <laughs> it was about power, definitely. It was... Um, so you've been on brand since day one. Yeah. I just always wanted to be about empowering myself. I was a kid who grew up in, like, tiny apartments in Brooklyn that couldn't scream and couldn't sing as loud as I wanted to. So when I found my ability to rap, I was like, I'm about to make this about finding your power. What was it like for you going to Wesleyan? Oh, Wesleyan was really... Really interesting. Honestly, I was the girl who would walk around with door knockers and my big headphones, and I'll be blasting the good Kanye West. and <laughs> Which is to say the quality of the music or pre-MAGA? <laughs> Pre-MAGA, definitely. Um, the good Kanye West. No beef, but beef. And I would just be exuding this Brooklyn girl energy with hip-hop swag. And people would just look at me like I was crazy because I was amongst, like, all these pretty white hipster kids, jockey kids. And I was a loner, but I also had, like, you know, my little cliques of friends that I would surround myself with. But Wesleyan was really um, a spiritual experience. Like, I really learned how to love my culture and I loved hip-hop so much in Wesleyan like <laughs> my first professor told me that I wasn't going to graduate and that I was going to be a quota to the school for diversity because I couldn't write an essay like everybody else and so I had to figure out and grasp a way to write that was true to me but also like very clear for college essays so all I wrote about was hip-hop because I knew hip-hop. Like, I could tell you the back and front of hip-hop. So once I started writing about hip-hop, all of my essays became A's, and I was like, okay, there's something there. By my senior year, people started to look into my story more and were, like, really interested in this girl who was, like, so dedicated to hip-hop and et cetera, et cetera. In a way where you felt like they were relating to you or consuming you? I think a little of both. There were some people that were definitely relatable, and then there were some people that were just like, oh, Latasha's so cool. And <laughs> but, you know, you get over it. When's the first time you got paid for real? Oh, man, my commercial life was like buco bread. That's when I was like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. And that was scary because I didn't even know, I didn't understand the energy of money yet. When I first started rapping, I was just doing it for the fun. And I didn't know, like, all the business parts of rap at all for, like, three, four years. So I'm releasing all this music for free, just for fun. But for energy, it brought so much to me. Then all of a sudden, I'm getting, like, booked, like, to do gigs. And I'm like, oh, snap, I could actually make money off of and this. are you doing those deals yourself or someone doing them for you? At some points it was people helping me, but now I'm managing myself completely. So, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I would way rather be in control of my situation than have somebody else control it. The year before I started my commercials, I was homeless. Like, I was pretty much, like, couch surfing and trying to figure out how to, like, take care of myself. Then I got a residency with National Sawdust, and I was, like, their first hip-hop artist there. 
And then right there, someone hit me up like, yo, we want you for some like commercial stuff. Can you come in and record some stuff? And I was like, what? And I never heard of like doing commercial gigs. So I started doing that and I won Maybelline and Ulta Beauty's commercial gigs. And I was like, oh, I could like live off of this. Meaning you rapped in the commercial? Yes, I rapped and I write. I write. I'm a songwriter too. So I songwrite and I rap on the commercials or sing or whatever they're asking for. Yeah, it's really crazy. (laughs) Somewhere in there too, though, you have a benefactor that tunes in. Tell Um, me that story. There was a poet who came into my life at some point in 2012. No, 20. 14. Dang, time is just like, I just wrote that time is like an illusion. You can't even like put your finger on it at this point. But like 2014, I was going through some rough times with like a relationship and a bunch of other things and my mom. And I just was like, I'm about to quit this rap stuff. And um, this one woman heard my song Black Magic. And she was just like, wow, this is amazing. How come you're not doing this full time? And I was like, eh, you know, this game is stupid. Like, I don't even know what they want from me, et cetera, et cetera. And she pretty much mentored me out of old dogmas in my mind about, like, the community and about myself and about my art. And I had to move out of my house because I was just going through a lot of stuff in my with my mom and stuff like that. And she gave me $10,000 to just move out of my house and start over. And then she like kind of disappeared out of my life. It was like an angel literally came into my life. So it was, when you say angel benefactor or whatever, angel donor, that was like real life. (laughs) But my life is like that. I really believe that my life is all spiritually driven. And I have no clue how any of this happened I just knew like I fell in love with a lot of things I fell in love with hip-hop I fell in love with performing I fell in love with creating and I always say that God is love so if you live what you love you're living in your purpose let's talk about your music 2011 you release your debut album the LA riots Mm -hmm. mental fatality what was the inspiration for that project well, before that, I released a project called The Presentation. You are literally the hardest person to keep track of. I want you to know, I, I have prepped for interviews with presidential candidates, and no one has as much going on as you do. Well, that's because I just release. I don't think about it. I'm not trying to do a whole press kit for you. I just want you to, like, get with it. Yeah, no, I noticed, Latasha. I actually would have appreciated a press kit. I'm going to timeline out your life, okay? (laughs) Just to be clear, because that's the thing. I was was talking to to my EP, Julika. I was like, I I can't keep track of this. But that's because time is an illusion. You don't need to worry about that, you know? You get what you get, and you get what resonates with you. And that's what's important to me. Like, today I was going to tell you, like, forget all of that stuff. Like, if you love it, that's what's important to you. Like, what songs were important to you is what's important to you. What songs resonate with you is what resonates with you. I'm just releasing, and I think that's my life, and just letting go and hoping it catches a wave with people. But before that, I did release a project called The Presentation, which was all on Kanye West Beats. That went super viral. That's how I even ended up opening for Kanye and Q-Tip. From there, I went to the L.A. Riots, which is a hardcore project. 
And I was going through like this dark energy phase. I remember um, it was the first time I was dealing with the industry. It was the first time I was dealing with people telling me what to do, what to be. It was the first time I was even like accepting the fact that I'm an artist. And um, it was really hard. I was like going through this really depressive space on the spirit because so many people were trying to grab me. And I was just dealing with a lot of hard energy. In 2012, I almost committed suicide. And I just didn't want to be in that space anymore. And then I just started over. And I just kept starting over. That's why you can't really keep track either. Because I just kept starting over and changing my name and doing things to like just find myself. And I think right now I'm in the most found place I've ever been. Can we talk a little bit about depression? Sure. I've struggled with depression, but the way you talk about it, I've never heard anybody talk about it that way, as though it's a, a darkness of the spirit. How did it manifest for you? I think it was awareness that made me realize my depression. Because I think I always might have had some depression, and I just would overshadow it with other things to put on top of it. And then when I started creating... Creating opens this understanding of awareness with yourself. And that's when I think depression set in because it started to become more true to see, like, what I was doing to myself, how I was, like, staying in bed or I didn't want to get up or I didn't want to, like, create. And every time I created something, I didn't like it or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then at one point, it was just like, oh, this is depression. This is what depression feels like. Did you realize it or did someone tell you? Because I thought so much of my behavior was just normal. Yeah. It was like, I don't get out of bed because when I am up, I put a lot of energy into the day. <laughs> so I'm just recharging my battery all weekend well, long. Well, that's good, too. That's self-care. No, but it's different when right. you cannot peel yourself mm. out of the bed. Well, yes, that then that's an issue. Yeah. I think at some points I did think it was normal because— not to put my mother out there, but she's dealt with depression. And, you know, I've had family members deal with depression. So growing up and when you see it, you're like, oh, that's just regular. And then you're like, nah, this is not how you usually feel. Would your mom use the word depression? Um, No, she wouldn't. But I knew, like, over time. And I think I came across an article about depression. And then I was like, oh, this is what's going on, you know? Um, the word didn't just appear in my mind, but it did come to me. Did you try to get help? I have help now. I'm in therapy now, and I was on and off therapy for, like, the last six years, which has really helped. Every day is not, like, peachy, but every day we do our best to love ourselves and be grateful that we're here. And you just got to remind yourself every day. So, like, if you tell yourself that I can't heal, that I can't be this, that I can't be that, it will be so. And so to me, it's about telling yourself constantly, I can heal, I can be free, I can be out of this situation, and finding means to do it. Did you grow up with both your parents? I grew up with my mother and my stepfather, and then um, my biological father was deported, so he lives in Jamaica. And your mom, where's your mom from? She's from Puerto Rico, but she also has Haitian descent. And do you feel like you grew up Puerto Rican? 
I feel like I grew up Caribbean and Latina. I can't say that I grew up in one country or island or anything of that nature. I think I grew up with all of these diasporas kind of creating this being of myself. I find it really interesting that when music outlets write about you, they very often don't contextualize you as being Latina. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because of the skin color that I'm in. <laughs> but I laugh at it. I don't get upset anymore. I used to get upset. I don't feel a need to be upset with people about the stories that they create for me. I know my story. And if you want to hear the truth about it, and I will always tell the truth about it, I'll make sure you hear it. What's the story you want to tell about you? I want to tell a new story. I'm ready. I feel like so many times women are fallen into the trauma story and a, a narrative of like I've been through so much pain and which you have which I have but I'm in such a good place now in my life that I want to share how I got out and how I could create space for love and space for just appreciating yourself and I want to make more music in that realm too and space for empowerment because there's so many women who just keep creating out of pain. And if you keep creating out of pain, it will hurt. And I found that out with myself recently. Like, I had my last two albums, Black and T-Night, that were created out of a lot of pain that I was dealing with. And you perform those every night. And then you realize, like, I don't want to keep reliving this every single day. Where do you hear the Latin influence in your work? My Latin influence is all over the place in the way I flow, in the way I sometimes speak in Spanish by accident or by spirit, and the way I tell stories. I grew up in a household full of Latin people just telling full stories about their day, and it's all folklore, you know? So I just do the same thing in my music. I just tell stories. And I think it's also in the power in the, like, charisma and the attitude and being able to be like, yeah, F that. I'm going to say exactly what I feel right now. And I think that's all <laughs> That's all from my Latin culture and Haitian and Jamaican, too. Is there a track where you're like, listen to that track if you want to hear it? Eggs. Eggs on um, Black Album is definitely all of that. And before Eggs, I think there's a clip of my mother going off in Spanish in it. So, yeah, go listen to that track. It's a good one. Black is on my SoundCloud, but it's going to be on um, Spotify very soon, too. There are more women rappers today than when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. And a fellow Latina, Cardi B, seems to reign mm -hmm. supreme right now. Are you a Cardi fan? Absolutely. Do you think it's gotten any easier for women rappers? I don't know if it was ever easy or hard. I think everything comes with its challenges, definitely. Cardi definitely opened a lot of doors for people to see and, like, to reach and want to reach. I think when I started rapping, people didn't want to reach out to women at all. Or they judged us heavily, like to the point that you didn't want to be a rapper anymore. Judged you in terms of your look, your all of it, lyric, like all of it, all of it, your look, your lyrics, 
your charisma, your power, all of that. In 2014, you release BM Black Magic, uh-huh. and it makes the rounds on the internet. With the distance from that work, what do you see about it now that you didn't see when you were creating it? Oh, I, I see that I've always kind of been a prophet. <laughs> I'm, just so you know, I am believing it. I'm buying it right here. Like, this is my conversion. Just You have something very special about you that I, yeah. I don't know if it'll be apparent in the recording, but it's apparent in the room. Oh, really? Thank yes. you. And I can tell from the way you said thank you that I'm not the first person. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, I know. This is how I felt. <laughs> yeah. yes. Nah, I've always kind of new stuff before everybody else. I just knew things were coming before everybody else. This whole space that we're in of, like, cultural appropriation, I was talking about that since 2011. Like, in my projects, the presentation and L.A. riots, I was like, zombies are coming, get ready. I think I even talked about Trump in, like, those projects. And everybody was just like, you're crazy. And then now, where are we at? Like, everybody's talking about cultural appropriation. Everybody wants to be in their power right now. Everybody's fighting for this. I mean, I'm still fighting the good fight, right? I'm still talking about it. I still want space for my people. And I want to always create space for my people. How does someone go from being someone who has a viral song Mm -hmm. on the internet to being a person who is selling out Madison Square Garden? Man, I wish I knew all the time. But it's about working smart. I think, and making the real decisions and choices that are true to your alignment. And anybody could become that person. You could become that person the Cardi B way. You could become that person the Chance way. It's just about deciding and demanding of yourself what you want to become. So do you think Nikki, for example, has clarity on what it is she wants? I don't know. I can't say. I'm not Nikki, you know? Dang, yo, it's so crazy because in 2011, when I created the presentation, I wrote this song called Brand New where I was spazzing on Nikki because I was so upset about the Barbie thing. And I was like, how could you do this to us? Like, we need, like, a woman who's going to be true and you're acting like all of this and that. And now I look at Nikki and I understand. And I understand why it's happening And it's because she's been in an industry that commanded of her to be a certain way. And now that that industry is starting to fail on itself, she has to find other means of connecting to this new wave of the industry. And so that's why she's very connected to her fan base right now. That's why she's doing the radio show. That's why she's doing so many things, because she has to catch up to, like, people being real. And that's why Cardi won, you know. Cardi won because she's a real person. And she's been a real person. Like, we've seen her, like, show no makeup to full face, you know what I mean, on the Instagram and all that stuff. It's now that we're seeing that from Nikki. And it's unfortunate because it wasn't her fault that that happened. It was the industry that she was in's fault. It's also unfortunate because, you know, there's a question of whether or not it has to do with the art. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we talking about the game or are we talking about the art? And are they one and the same? Mm-hmm. No, they aren't the same. Right? They're absolutely different. So it's like, it's really in some ways not about whose art is best, Mm-mm. but about who understood the game best. Absolutely. If you're talking about industry. Yeah. It's not about the art in the industry anymore. I mean, quality art will reign, like, even though you don't see that. 
but it is raining. Like, the top hip-hop artists still are Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole because they're quality in their art. But what are you going to constantly see is the same nonsense, you know? It's an illusion, man. This shit is an illusion. And it's what you create out of it. It's just both very organic and very cerebral, ethereal. Yeah. I mean, I like to say I'm practical magic. I write down everything that I want, and then I give it to the universe, and then it becomes. Like, that's how I lived my life this whole time. And there's no point in which in that practical magic we were like, and I don't know how I'm going to pay rent next month. Oh, definitely. But me saying I don't know how I'm going to pay rent is me asking the universe, help me find a way to pay rent. And then the answer comes to me. There has been times in my life where I'm literally three days away from paying rent, and then a gig will pop up the day before I had to pay rent. I feel like I'm going to need an advance on that. <laughs> I've done that. I've been like, I have my W-9 printed for you. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the work, though. Like, if you already put the W-9 printed out and be like, all right, it's there whenever the gig comes in, that's how you do it. Like, already putting the energy out there that what you want is there is how you do it. Here's my last question. Oh, sure. Your music is intimate. It is raw. Is there ever a part of you that wants to pull back? Oh, yeah, all the time. That's being honest. There's moments where I don't want to be in the pain like I talked about before. I have a project called Spark that you could find somewhere in the, the stratospheres. And I remember when I created Spark, I wanted to just be happy. I just finished L.A. Riots, and I didn't want to be sad anymore. I didn't want it to be in depression. So I just, like, wrote happy music, <laughs> as happy as I could be without lying and dancey. And sometimes I just want to be in that space because being a woman of color is some real shit. And... You don't want to constantly have to bombard people with this idea of trauma all the time. Thank you so much, Natasha. No problem. Thank you. The sun in my reflection died for my extension. Yes, they say shining like this. It don't matter what they say. I love my haters anyway, cause. Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is executive produced by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me. Amita Ganatra was the sound designer on this episode. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Send us ideas for guests or talk to us about what's on your mind right now. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you.